Hi Matt, uh, welcome to Lovey's Cancer and Zenonco.io. I am Rutika and it's a pleasure to host you today. I'm very glad that you decided to share your journey with us on our platform. Uh, so what we thank do is so we... Yes, yes, please go ahead. Oh no, I was just saying thank you so much. I appreciate it. Um, you know, excited to share my story, share my message and really today. So thank you. Yes. Uh, what we do is we share cancer healing journey, uh, which you have lived as a survivor so that people who are still fighting this battle can get some inspiration and motivation from your journey that there's a life post cancer. Uh, so we'll just go ahead with your symptoms and diagnosis. Uh, so can you please tell me uh, what were your uh, symptoms and what made you go for the diagnosis? Yeah, so I'm 29 now, and at 24, um, I was diagnosed with the highest stage of testicular cancer. And at the time, um, I basically predicated my life to health. You know, I was a very healthy person. I was a personal trainer. I was um, eating the right foods every day, working out six to seven days a week. And all of a sudden, at 24, I started to notice these minor back pains. And, you know, especially as a young adult, you feel like, you know, you're invincible, or there's nothing that's going to happen, like you're going to be just fine. And I thought, okay, it might have been lifting, or it might have been X, Y, and Z. And I just started dating my girlfriend at the time. And we were doing all these summer activities. And slowly, but surely, I couldn't do them because my back pain kept getting worse and worse and worse. And as a young adult, I was just being stubborn. I didn't want to go get checked out. I figured it would just go away. And then one night, about two months later, <clears throat> the back pain was excruciating. But also, I woke up and uh, I ended up puking up blood. Got rushed to the emergency room. They did a blood test on me. Found out I lost two thirds of the blood circulating in my body, which is equivalent to being shot with a gun. They immediately put me on six bags of blood. I went into an emergency surgery. And the next day I woke up to the doctor holding my hand and basically telling me, he said, Matt, we found an 11 centimeter tumor in your small intestine. We um, are almost confident that it's cancer. We just don't know what type yet. And we have to rush you to the main campus of the Cleveland Clinic immediately. So I'm from Cleveland, Ohio in the United States. So um, we have what's called the Cleveland Clinic, which is thank goodness one of the top hospitals in the US. And uh, so they shipped me off there and um, they did a bunch of tests on me and that's where they found out that um, I had the highest stage statistic here cancer. And to put things in perspective, they test was called a tumor marker. There's a bunch of them, but the one they were really paying attention to me was what's called my AFP. And usually for a male, your AFP wants to be below five. Mine was over 75,000. So I had my cancer had spread all across my body and immediately they're like, we need to get you taken care of right now. But um, to take a little backtrack, you know, when I was first diagnosed, um, it was just me and my parents at the time, nobody else knew. And I remember looking over at them and seeing them crying. And my first instinct wasn't to be emotional or anything, especially as a male. I thought that holding in my emotions, being strong was the right way to go. But little did I know, the more I held in all of those emotions, the more I held in all of the pain and the, you know, the news that I just received, the more emotional and mental baggage I was putting on my shoulders. And I think this is a good lesson for especially males, maybe some females, but you, you, you know, you females are usually really good at this is sharing your emotions. Um, us males are not. And I really do believe a lot of mental health issues can come from, um, 
holding in things. And I'm not saying you have to go on a podcast like me and share it. What I'm saying is start with what I did. Start with one person that you can trust and you know um, will be there for you. And for me, it was my girlfriend, Lauren. And when I finally, you know, saw her in person about a day or two later, I just let all my emotions go, started crying. And it made a world of difference because I was able to share with what I was going through and relieve a lot of that emotional uh, baggage off my shoulders. So um, just a lesson for a lot of um, males out there and some, maybe some females who feel like you need to be strong because it's very easy to have this um, perception of like, you need to be this certain type of individual, but actually it's the quite opposite, so. That is actually very true. We have this stigma in the society that men don't feel pain and men don't cry. So they like try to bottle everything in and females can have a good cry and they'll be fine. So that's actually very true that males have this tendency to keep every emotion logged inside themselves. So they, they should actually express this, but express it uh, everything. This actually helps, you know, the more you share, the better you feel. So th that's very Absolutely. true. Yeah. And, and, and what I would say is um, the best thing I could tell you is it's okay to be upset. It's okay to dwell. It's okay to be in a state of, of, you know, anger for a little bit. But if you live in that state, meaning if you stay in that state too long, you become the victim of that situation. Meaning I was diagnosed with cancer and I was extremely upset. I was very down on myself, but I didn't let myself stay in that state for too long because I knew that it wasn't going to get me anywhere. So I have a little favorite saying that I always tell people is everything in life happens for you, not to you. And what I mean by that is we're all going to get unfair news, unexpected situations, but how are you going to take that situation? Are you going to say, why is this happening to me? Meaning excuses, blaming other people, um, you know, if you're faith-based blaming, you know, whatever you believe in and, or are you going to say, how is this happening for me? And you can say, yes, I'm, I'm upset at the situation, but how can I learn from it? How can I become a better version of myself? And more importantly, how can I eventually at some point help the next person who's been struggling with the similar scenario as me? And that's how I said, I need to take my life that way. I know I'm going to have down days. I know I'm going to be upset at things but I can't stay in that state. So, um, you know, after that, um, they did a bunch of tests. They found out that I had the testicular cancer and I was immediately put on what's called BEP. And BEP is bleomycin etoposide cisplatin. It's very potent, strong drugs. Um, and for males, um, you know, I mean, that's usually, I don't know what other cancers do it, but I know testicular, that's like the main dosage that they use for people. And they only usually use four rounds of it because it's so strong. But for me, they said, since your cancer is so strong, um, you know, such at a high level, we have to do five rounds of it. So I was kind of in a mental and physical battle for, you know, a good two and a half to three months. And, um, you know, within a week, I lost my hair. Um, I was extremely fatigued. Um, you know, and it was just as much of a mental battle. And I would say one of the most challenging mental hurdles for me was, um, you know, during the middle of my chemotherapy, I lost my, um, my three-year-old puppy who was diagnosed with cancer, uh, just before I was, and I would take him to all his chemo sessions. And if you've ever had a pet, you know, it's like your best friend losing it. And for me directly in the middle of chemotherapy, he was going through cancer and have it such a young age. It was literally like losing a best friend. And I went right into that victim mentality. I didn't want to go to chemotherapy. I didn't want to do a lot of things, but I had to 
the, the two things that helped get me out of it was number one, I don't push faith on anybody, but it was my faith. So it was my faith as a Christian, just believing in God that he would push me forward. And then number two was using my support system, making sure that I could ask for help, not being afraid to ask for help, not being afraid to share how I was feeling and using that to push me out of these difficult situations because cancer can be a very lonely journey. It can be a journey where you feel like you're the only one, even though you have all this support system, you just feel alone because you feel like the symptoms or X, Y, and Z is just like, oh, this doesn't happen to anybody, but it does. And, um, you know, that's why I want to get on these podcasts and share this with you. They say that you aren't alone. And, you know, sometimes instead of, you know, having to use the support system as our parents or our loved ones, sometimes we need to use support systems as cancer patient to cancer patient or cancer patient to cancer survivor, because you're able to relate to them. So, um, that would be my best advice. And, and for me, it helped me so much to overcome, you know, uh, all the struggles I was going through. And I finished my five rounds of chemotherapy. That is true because that's why we do these sessions. Uh, we listen to doctors, but they don't, they have never been through it. They have never been to, uh, through chemotherapy or radiotherapy. So they don't know what will be the side effects of it and how will a patient go through it. So uh, listening to fellow survivor, fellow patient, it gives one a strength to face it so that's that's the main purpose of these sessions uh so along uh, these lines i would like to ask what were your side effects after the chemotherapy and how did you deal with them yeah so after chemotherapy this is where all the complications happened in my life so um immediately you know what had happened was i went to my oncologist and he told me okay matt we have good news and we have bad news um, and I was already, by the way, they told me I was going to have to have a surgery because of my tumor and removing it. So I already knew going in, I had to have a surgery, but here, the good news was my 11 centimeter tumor had shrunk down to three centimeters, which was great. It meant the chemo was working. Everything was going, you know, just as planned. But he said, the bad news is it's wrapped around your tumor is wrapped around what's called your inferior vena cava. Now your inferior vena cava is basically a central vein that goes from the bottom upper or the bottom of your upper body to your heart. <clears throat> and he said, we're going to have to do about an 11 hour surgery with about three to four surgeons involved. And we don't know the complications. So, um, you know, two weeks goes by, I get the surgery done and going into the surgery, I was about 140 to 145 pounds. So before that I was 185 pound personal trainer. So I was I lost about 40 pounds coming out of the surgery. They cut me up from my left hip to my right hip. I was close to 200 pounds. And what had happened was my body just went into the survival mode. Everything was swelling up and um, it took me a week in the hospital before I could even get out. And the doctor told me, he said, hey Matt, <clears throat> you know, it should drain out. You know, we put a draining tube in you and it should, the fluid should just drain out of your stomach. And I said, okay, that's great. A week goes by and all of a sudden the draining just stops, not in a good way. I was in so much pain. I had to get rushed back to the emergency room. They put me in an ambulance. I got shipped off to the Cleveland clinic where they had to drain seven liters of fluid out of my stomach. <clears throat> I ended up going into complete kidney and liver failure. I had a cone drilled inside my head to relieve potential brain swelling. I had a catheter in my chest. I had a catheter in my neck because they thought I was going to be on dialysis the rest of my life. And I fell into a two week non-induced coma. Now I want to prophesize this. <clears throat> this is like a one in thousands of thousands of thousands of hundreds of thousands chance of this ever happening. So I don't want to put any fear in anybody. I wanted to share with you guys that 
you know, I'm living proof of everything's going to be okay. But I, um, you know, at that time, um, a really powerful story is my mom, she would, she, she's very faith-based. She'd hold these prayer services and um, we'd have hundreds of people at our local church praying. And then we'd have thousands around the world, everywhere, all around the world from what I was understanding. And Lauren and my parents never left the ICU room. So I was in the ICU room in my coma and Lauren, my girlfriend would come over. She'd hold my hand and she'd pray for me every day. And I'm not kidding you. We held three prayer services in the middle of the last prayer service as Lauren's holding my hand, as she's praying for me, as the whole entire church is praying and around the world, that was the day that I woke up from my coma. And for me, it just goes to show that it, it, it was like, this is my second chance. And God was saying, Matt, this isn't the end of your journey. This is a brand new beginning to something so much greater. And I want to ask a lot of you, if you feel like you're in rock bottom, if you feel like you've been you know, beaten down and you don't know where to go, just remember, this actually might be the best thing that's happened for you because a lot of the times when we are in the lowest points of our life, I pray nobody, you know, most of the people watching you, you have been diagnosed with cancer, but if you haven't, I pray you never do, but I do pray you get into some type of difficult situation because that is where true growth comes into play. That is where you can change your life around and have a new perspective on life. And um, I think that was the beginning of the start of a new journey for me. And um, <clears throat> so Unfortunately, that wasn't the uh, end of all the complications. So a week, a week later goes by, they go to take out one of the catheters in my neck because um, they're seeing I'm making some progress. And as they do so, I have what's called an aerythm heartbeat. I end up going to cardiac arrest. They had to do eight minutes of CPR on me and I fall into another one week coma. And um, this time I wake up and uh, I realized I have to live my relive my entire life again from laying in that ICU bed to taking my very first steps again it took two weeks with four nurses every single day coming in my body was depleted I had no food in me I had no water it was all through liquid IV and uh, it was one of the most grueling difficult things in my life but mentally it made me so much stronger it made me so much stronger mentally because I knew that if I could overcome this I could overcome any other obstacle that comes my way. And uh, eventually I get out of that ICU room. And once again, I am um, thinking that, okay, I'm ready to go home almost, you know, a week later, they're like, okay, we're going to try and get you home. And I kid you not, as they're wheeling me out of um, my recovery room to my final stages of physical therapy, my stitches burst open. I had to get rushed into a fifth major surgery. And they um, had to do what's called an open wound surgery on me, where they had to leave a football-sized mesh on my stomach. And um, I basically was back in the ICU again. And, um, you know, this time, uh, if I wasn't in rock bottom then, I was finally in rock bottom now. But I look at this analogy as a slingshot. I've just started using this analogy, and I want to share this with you because I think it's super powerful. Every time we have a setback in life, think of it as an extra resistance back, an extra resistance back, extra And eventually, if you keep persevering and you never give up on yourself, that slingshot is going to go. And when it fires, the more setbacks you've had, remember, is the more lessons, the more growth you have to excel yourself forward, to break through barriers you never thought was possible in your life, opportunities that present yourself. And that's how I looked at it. And uh, 
when, so what they did is they had to tie my hands to the bed because they didn't want my hands touching my stomach. So for two days, I couldn't, I couldn't get out of the bed. But when I finally did, it was like that slingshot just went off and I was walking further than I ever did previous to the ICU, previous to the recovery. And within a week and a half, I was out of the hospital after 53 days in the hospital, after 40 plus days in the ICU. And, um, you know, a really cool story is, uh, I met Lauren on March 17th of 2016, uh, which is St. Patrick's day here in the U S and, um, exactly one year later on March 17th of 2017 was when I was released from the hospital. And I really believe that that is an extremely special day for us where we can use it to really reflect and be grateful. And for me, it was, um, I felt like it was like God putting somebody in my life for a reason. And I guess that's my question to you is who is that person when you're going through really challenging times in your life that you know is going to be there for you no matter what? Because a lot of the times we could take that person for granted. And I've done that before. I still do sometimes. And it's good to take a step back and um, tell them how much you appreciate them in your life. And if you haven't yet in a while, text them, call them, or if you live with them, tell them how much you appreciate it. Cause it's not just going to make your day better, but it'll make their day so much better as well. So that's the long story to answer your question here. But, um, you know, at the time I was 110 pounds coming out of that hospital. So I remember I told you I was close to 200. I lost almost 90 pounds in 53 days. And, um, you know, we'll go into the recovery process, but that was really the, the extra symptoms that I had to go through. I just got goosebumps after hearing that story that you woke up after, like when people were praying for you and you just woke up, I literally just got goosebumps. And uh, when, when you're talking about Lauren, your girlfriend, to be very honest, it's amazing to see that she stood by your side throughout the journey. Uh, like nobody does that. Very few people, very few people you find in your life who will stand by you if, if you don't have a relation with them. They, 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 there are like very less people who will stand beside you when you're going through such hardships in your life. So it's, it's amazing to see that you have a beautiful partner in your life who stood beside you and who helped you recover from such a difficult phase in your life. So I, you should definitely appreciate her as much as you can. Because what I have seen is it's difficult. It's harder for caregivers. You are going through it. You are feeling the pain. They, they cannot feel the pain, but they are going through the similar journey and it's harder on their mental health because they can't do anything in front of you. They can just cry inside. So it's, it's difficult for them also. Can you please share yeah. one moment uh, which you have, which is some precious memory, some precious moment which you have with Lauren, which you uh, had during this journey, if you can, like, yeah, it's okay. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll share a really cool, I've never shared this story actually before. So this is really cool. Um, so her birthday. So I, I, um, she was in that hospital, by the way, all 53 days all 53 days. And um, she never left unless she had to go to work. She had her birthday, which we'll get to in a second. She, we had Valentine's Day during that time. We had, um, she could have went out with her friends to get, you know, some fresh air, but she was, she would wake up at 6am every morning, come and see me because she had to go to work, then she would come back and she would just sit there. And I would say for over 40 days, I couldn't even talk, couldn't even talk. And she just would stay there and be present. And for me, it was everything. I needed that. I need that so much. But a really cool story was um, on her birthday, <clears throat> I surprised her 
with so she's a very um she loves like Celine Dion I don't know if you know who that is but it's a singer um she's a famous singer and I surprised her with um Celine Dion tickets and you know I said okay this is my goal is we're gonna get out of the hospital and we're going to see Celine Dion like you know maybe two months after I get out of the hospital I had these like crazy I was I was begging my parents to do this for me and um and I gave her that gift. And, um, you know, unfortunately, obviously, so I got out of the hospital on March 17th and the, the um, concert was in Las Vegas in um, May of like, you know, 17, two months later. And unfortunately I couldn't go because I wasn't healthy enough at the time. And it really upset me, but um, it was so meaningful to her. And really cool story, two years later, I found out she was coming to Cleveland, where, which is my city. and. Uh, so I surprised her on our March 17th anniversary that we were going to be going to see Celine Dion. And we ended up going and it was better than we even expected. And it was more emotional. And I think it was more of a powerful story because it was something that, you know, we wanted to do so badly because it was so meaningful to her. And it was meaningful to me because I wanted to make this happen. And I feel like it just like it all the cards played it you know um you know came together and it was just like such a perfect moment so we had an incredible night and that's a really memorable moment that i've actually never shared i've been on a lot of podcasts i've been on a lot of um you know speaking gigs and i've never shared that so i'm glad you asked that question because uh it was really cool and it's something that we'll always never forget and it'll be a very memorable moment for us it's actually very important to remember and uh like preserve these memories which we have with our caregivers and which you have with her. So that's why I asked one if you can share. And it, it's a really beautiful memory which uh, you just shared. So thank you for sharing with us. Uh, You're welcome. Uh, getting back to session. Uh, can you please tell me like uh, what, like you told me that you took chemotherapy. So were there any uh, complementary therapies which you took after your treatment? Yeah, so after chemo, I was I was done. They put me in blood thinners for a little bit, but then that actually made it kind of worse. So I was very fortunate, especially because when I was in that hospital, I had kidney and liver failure. So thinking I was going to be on dialysis the rest of my life or whatever type of medication I was going to have to be. But after, you know, from an act of God, I don't know how. I have fully functioning kidneys now, fully functioning liver. Everything is great. So I never, I was very blessed to not have to have any like immunotherapy or any type of extra uh, medication after. But I do hear this a lot for testicular patients. Um, they, a lot of them have to go on like testosterone because of when you remove the testicle, especially if they've had a double test, um, testicle removal, then they have to go on testosterone to um, keep their body functioning at a proper, you know, proper rate. But for me, I was very fortunate, very lucky that I've Right now, it's, you know, I will say this, my recovery process was probably a little more grueling than most people. It took me two years to recover myself mentally, emotionally, and physically, because coming out of that hospital, I was 110 pounds. And, um, you know, I, I, I had to focus, this was my biggest thing that I could say is I had to focus on one thing a day, that's it. Because Whenever, whenever we try to overcomplicate a process or try to get things done too quickly, because a lot of us, especially with cancer, we, of course, we want it to be done with, we want to get over it, but you have to remember that it's a process, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And especially with the recovery for me, 
I had to realize that what is one thing every day? So this is the meaning of being present. You've heard being present. What is one thing today that I can focus on to get myself healthy again so that I can start living the life that I want to live post-cancer? And it was maybe lifting a five-pound dumbbell. It started off with lifting a five-pound dumbbell. And then it started walking instead of 25 meters, walking 30 meters, starting eating a little bit healthier, starting working on my mindset, doing a little bit of meditation. I'm working through my limiting beliefs in my life. And as I did that every day consistently, it allowed me to progress. It's like that famous saying, you probably heard this, Rome wasn't built in a day. It just means that when you compound daily wins, so I call it winning the day, when you win the day, guess what happens? If you win three, four, five of your seven days, that means you win the week. If you win three out of the four weeks, that means you win the month. And if you win six, seven, eight out of the you know 12 months, that means you won the year. But you can't win the year unless you start with winning the day. And that's the power of staying present. And I only use my past. So a lot of people, the reason they get depression is because they use the past to dwell on, to be upset about. Instead, use the past as a lesson, as a growth opportunity, as something to push you forward. And then for the future, a lot of people get anxiety because they plan false stories in their head. And it creates this false story of a lot of anxious thoughts that what could possibly happen, but instead plan for a future that you want in your life instead of a future that you're afraid of. So learn from the past, which is maybe 1% of your life. Use that 98% of your life should be in the present. And then the other 1% use the plan for the future. You know, you can use the percentage whatever you want, but I think you get what I'm saying is when you stay focused on what you can do today, you're going to be amazed at what you can do in a week or a month or incredibly in a year of the recovery you can make. So, um, and I would tell every patient, be, you know, every patient, be patient because um, the recovery, everyone's at their own pace. Some recover physically, but mentally, I would say it's the number one thing that we don't talk about enough because doctors, um, nurses, our parents, our loved ones, we can't relate unless we've gone through cancer on the emotional mental journey. Doctors are going to heal you physically, but the mental side, they, they, it's hard for them. So that's why you need to either surround yourself with incredible people who are already where you want to be. So it could be in the cancer realm, kind of like me, or what I did was I surrounded myself with entrepreneurs. And the reason I did this was because they take a massive problem, they solve it, and then they use it to help other people. And their mindset is where I needed to get in my life. Because I said, after two years of taking care of myself, I told myself, well, what is next? Because almost all of us, you go through a traumatic experience in your life and you're like, you have this second purpose. You have this greater vision, this greater dream in your life. And it's hard because a lot of the people who love you the most don't understand that. They think that you're just gonna go back to your normal life. And some people do, but most don't. Most people have this big vision. And that's where you need to surround yourself with people who are going to help get you there, who are already there that can help you to achieve what you want. And, um, you know, I'm going off on a little tangent, but all I'm trying to say here is that um, be present, take care of yourself first. My famous saying is in order to be selfless, you must be selfish first, meaning you have to take care of your body, take care of your mental and emotional health, and then all of those experiences, and you don't have to be a perfectionist, just all those experiences that you learn along the way, 
you can then give to those who are, are um, you know, in, in a uh, position that you were not too long ago. And that's what I'm doing. I'm giving back to people who've gone through traumatic experiences that are looking for that next journey in their life, you know, and um, it's very meaningful. So that's kind of where I'm at. Hey, what you're saying is absolutely right. I have read so many books. I have this thing about micro habits and power of compounding, compound habits. So I even do this thing, like I'll do two things today. I'll just do two, two things in a day. But when I'll see that in a year, I've changed a lot. Like those two things which I've been doing for a year has compounded in something. Like I used to read just one book. Like I was like, I'll, I'll read one book uh, in a week. If I get time, I, if I get some time, I'll read one book. But when I saw after a few years that I wrote, read so many books and I have a huge collection, I was like, oh my God, this this has happened. This was the result. And I I can just talk about any book I right now. So that is actually the power of compounding. And you're absolutely right. We just have to start one single step a day. And it just gets compounded every day. You, you know what the biggest asset is in your life is knowledge. Because guess what? You can never take knowledge away from you. And you, by reading those books, gaining that knowledge, learning, that is the greatest asset you could put into yourself. You know, the, they always say the best investment you can ever make is in yourself. And that is so true because at the end of the day, you can lose money, you can lose relationships, you can have poor health at certain times, but, but your mind, as long as you keep it intact, that knowledge that you gained is always going to be up there. And it's so powerful. And, um, just like you said, when you do those things every day, guess what it does? It builds so much confidence in your life because as long as you keep the promises you make to yourself, so this is why I say don't overcomplicate the process. If you're doing two tasks a day and you say, I am going to go out and do these, even if they're challenging, and no matter what happens, you know, unless some crazy circumstance happens, it's called keeping the promises you make to yourself. So when you say you're going to go do it, you actually get it done. And that builds momentum into your life. It builds confidence that you can go out and come when you tell yourself you're going to do it, you're going to go out and crush that goal. And then all of a sudden those, those, um, those goals that you have become habits and that, that instead of you constantly saying, Oh, I have to get this done today. I have to do this. This is why I predicated my entire life into health is because now every day I wake up, I don't say, Oh, do I have to go work out? No, it is. I'm going to go work out or I am going to go eat healthy or X, Y, and Z, I'm going to find somebody to do a podcast today. And it becomes habits, it becomes rituals. So that's how you build confidence, you build um, fulfillment, and you you manifest things into your life. That's how you manifest things into your life. So um, it's action and um, doing the things you say you're going to do every day. <clears throat> Talking about mental health and emotional health, I just have this one question. Did you ever think like during your journey that why me? Why has it ever happened to me? Like were there moments where you were so depressed that uh, I, won't, I won't say depressed, but there are moments that you cannot even talk about it to somebody and you cannot even comprehend that what is going on. So were there any moments like that? And if there were, what did you do then? There was, yeah. I would say the most down I ever was on myself was right when I got out of the hospital um, because uh, like I told you, eight months you know, ago from that point, I was this fit, healthy person. And, um, you know, a lot of people looked up to me for my physique and the way I look. Eight months later, I'm 110 pounds. 
I had a surgery on my stomach where this wound where they had to take out my abdominals, which was like one of the things that like I worked so hard for, had this big lump on my stomach and I am so self-conscious about my body. And on top of that, I lost a lot of um, the accountability because I'm not, I'm at home now and I don't have nurses every day. I don't have doctors every day, constantly coming up to me and saying, Hey, you have to do this or that. I had like once or twice a week where somebody would come and help me. And I fell into this rut of victim mentality. Why me? I stopped um, actually uh, doing the things necessary to get myself back in shape. And within a week and a half, I was back into the hospital with a standing heart rate of 150 beats a minute. My blood pressure was through the roof. And um, I basically, you know, my, my, oh, my temperature was at 103 degrees. And I was because I wasn't taking care of my body. And I stayed there for five days. And after those five days, I got out. And um, me and Lauren had probably one of, I, I say there's three life changing moments in my life. And this was one of them where Lauren and I sat down and we basically came to the conclusion that night that if I don't take care of my body, I will probably not be here next month. It's life or death almost. And that was when I said, I need to make a massive shift in my life mentally first. Cause I think anytime you're about, before you take any action, it starts with your heart. You have to always follow your heart. I always say, follow your intuition, but then you have to get your mind right to say, Hey, listen, whatever limiting belief comes my way. Am I worthy enough? What other people think of me, all these fears, when you can eliminate that and just take imperfect action, meaning action along with failure along the way, you're unstoppable. And that's what I did. And I did just like you said, I did one or two tasks a day and I just stay consistent every single day. And eventually I gained the weight back. I gained my strength back. I gained my, um, you know, I eliminated the limiting beliefs. I gained, um, you know, all this confidence and I was able to push myself forward. So uh, what were these major lifestyle changes which you made after making this decision in your life? Yeah. So the number one thing I'm going to tell you right now, exactly what I did. I literally the next day picked up a five pound dumbbell. This is all I did. And I did bicep curls for 15 to 20 minutes. That's all I did. And guess what I did that for? I did that for like three to four days straight. And then I said, okay, I'm walking a little bit. And what I would do is I'd set up lawn chairs. I had my driveway and I'd set up lawn chairs lawn chair to lawn chair. And every couple of days, I'd move that lawn chair a little bit further back. And what I do is I would go from walking to that lawn chair, I'd sit down for about a minute or two, then I'd walk back, then I'd walk there, then I'd walk back. And I'd gradually um, open up those lawn chairs to make it further and further. And then as for my mindset, I would do a lot of visualization, I would, I would start planning and saying, Hey, listen, remember, use that future to plan. So I'd say, okay, what am I going to do this week that um, it's going to get me to where I need to be? And it was just little things after little things. And that's what really gained um, all of this momentum into my life. And that's for anybody who's on a journey right now. You're on a health journey, you're recovering from cancer, um, whatever it is. Remember, just don't overcomplicate the process. Stay simple. Realize it's going to take a little bit of time. It probably won't take two years like it took me. But if you're staying consistent, you're going to be amazed in just a month, just a month at where you're at. <clears throat> during this time you were 24 right when this happened so, so you were 24 what about your professional life like how did it go like something there must be a major setback setback during this so how did you deal with that yeah I was very I'm gonna say this I was very blessed so I was 24 when I was diagnosed 25 when I went through all my major complications so uh chemo it's kind of funny chemo I ended three days after my 25th birthday so 
Um, but yeah, for my professional career, um, I was very fortunate as in my uncle owned the business and I worked through him as what's called a wellness director. So I go into the um, company and I'm like, I feel like I'm the person like who creates like a Google like atmosphere, like the company Google, where I get to do like personal training for our employees. We do health fairs. We do like all these fun like stuff to create a cool atmosphere, a healthy atmosphere. And he, um, he really helped me financially. And this is a big thing. I'm glad you brought this up because now my mission here is so after that, when, after two years of recovery, I'm still in the job, but I'm really transitioning into my own business. I have a business now, but I'm trying to fully transition into a business owner. My whole objective is to make a massive life-changing impact in this world as a speaker, as a mentor, um, as a coach, and then use all of the capital and all the money I get to start a nonprofit and help um, families whose young adults have been going through cancer, help them financially. Because I realized how blessed I was, but I also know that one of the most painful things ever is when you cannot put your full attention towards your child and you have to worry about money as much as your child's health, it does not seem fair to me. It seems completely unnecessary, completely unfair. And I want to be that person. I don't know if it's five years down the road, 10 years down the road, but I'm going to start a nonprofit that is going to change the world in the cancer space financially. And I'm going to make this, this is my life mission. This is what God's brought me here to do. And that's what I'm going to do. And first I'm trying to build a business first so that I can have the capital to start putting into the nonprofit. But that is how it's always, you know, that's how it's affected me. And, um, you know, and, and how I got to being, you know, where I'm at today is I'm going to tell you the number one thing this, if I could give you one piece of advice, surround yourself with the right people who's going to get you to that place. I said it before, if you are not around people who are going to uplift you, if you're around people who question everything you do, try to drag you down, try to get you back to where you were the pre-cancer and all of these things, that's where you're going to go. It's exactly where you're going to go. And yes, I lost a, a few friends. I have incredible friends. Don't get me wrong. I have majority of them are supportive. They love me, but I did lose a few friends. And you know what? It hurts at, the, at first, but then a few months later, when you're making success and you're going to where you want in your life, you realize that it was the best thing that's ever happened for you. So um, I hope that answered your question. But yeah, I'm still kind of in my job, but really in that transition period to um, what I'm doing now. I can clearly see that you have it planned. If you have it all planned out, that what you're going to do for at least next five to 10, 10 years. And it's really amazing to see that you're planning to open a nonprofit for cancer patients and helping them through it. It's, it's amazing. It's an amazing uh, step towards it. Because people are usually not that giving, but it's an amazing that uh, thing that you are. Okay, uh, so talking about re recovery, you were saying that you'll tell me uh, more, more about it in detail. So can we just talk about it? Like, how did you recover properly from after your chemo and after losing so much of weight? So how, what was the process? Like, how, what exactly did you follow to recover? Yeah, I mean, so for my wound, um, and it took a year for that to heal. So I had to put like dressings and stuff over that. And it was very, it was very monotonous. Every day I'd have to take care of it make sure everything was going well. Um, but, um, like I said, you know, you, you create like a little game plan for yourself. So what you have to do is you have to say, what are like your top three part, like top three areas of your life that you want to focus on? For me, it's my health. It's my, um, 
really I have four. It's my health, it's my relationships, it's my wealth, meaning business, um, you know, money, everything. And then it's my faith. So I had to focus on those four things and I had to say, okay, what right now is most important to me? And I need to put most of my time and energy because your biggest, your biggest currency, your biggest assets, knowledge, but your biggest currency in life is your time and your energy. And you really realize this when you're going through cancer is that time is, you know, you don't know how much time you have left and you spending and your energy and wasting your energy on unnecessary people or unnecessary circumstances to please others or because you're afraid of actually doing what you need to is going to get you nowhere in life. So I had to prioritize my time and energy into those four pillars and say, how am I going to maximize them? But what is the most important to me right now? Like in the beginning, it was my health, because if I can take care of my health, my relationship, my wealth, um, everything is my, it was, and you know, or sorry, you know, my faith and my, um, my health are the two biggest things. So my faith was always there. It's always going to be there, but my, my health was the number one at first. And then it was building back my relationship with Lauren, building back my relationship with my parents, building the relationship with my family. And then after all of that, it was the wealth part saying, okay, how am I going to go out and impact other people? How am I going to go out and change the world? How am I going to go out and give back? Because true happiness in life does not come from yourself. It comes from giving back and serving other people. That is true fulfillment, true happiness. When you are in full service, after you've taken care of yourself, that is where you find the true happiness into your life. And I always say this, if you're going through difficult times mentally right, right now, start giving back to other people, you know, start with one person, because if you're in service to others, it's hard to be constantly focusing on your mental health as well. So give back to others. And um, you're going to find yourself that your attention is going to go towards um, that instead of constantly worrying what could potentially happen in your life. So that's what I did. And that's how I um, got to where I am today. One thing which I noticed is that there were a lot of symptoms before you went into emergency and everything happened. So uh, it can be like, uh, there can be an importance of self-examination that people should uh, at least keep a check on their symptoms, like what they're having. And if they're feeling something, they should go for a test or at least for something for a doctor that what is wrong with their body, like your body is trying to tell you something. So uh, can you like share something on importance of self-examination? Yes, this is my rule. If you, especially young adults out there, because we seem like we're invincible all the time and we aren't, because the one thing I've learned is cancer does not discriminate. So it can hit you at any age. It can hit you at any time. Now, I'm not telling you if you've never been diagnosed that you're going to get diagnosed. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying if you have a symptom, this is how I look at it, over a week that is abnormal that you can tell, go get yourself checked out. Most likely it's not cancer. Most likely it's just something I need to get taken care of. But if you were, if I would have got went the week, you know, after I figured all this, you know, this back pain out, like, you know, cause I let it go for about two and a half months. And, um, if I would have done that, it probably, instead of being the highest stage of testicular cancer, it would have been stage one or stage two. And, um, it wouldn't have been nearly as complicated as, what I had gone through. So um, that is my biggest advice is if you find something that lasts over a week, go get yourself checked out. For me, testicular cancer, the craziest part is I didn't have any symptom in my testicle, which is actually where 90% of male, more than that, probably 95% of males get their symptoms. And um, so just any type of lump, any type of rash, any type of thing, just go get checked out if it's lasting over a week. That's all I'm going to tell you. You know, I mean, once again, I'm not a doctor, so I don't know, but I do know that they would, you know, inform the exact same thing is telling you, go get yourself examined, 
Um, and don't be afraid. Don't, especially, you know, as a young adult, don't be afraid um, or self-conscious that, oh, I have to go get myself checked out or X, Y, and Z. Just go do it and you'll be thankful that you did. Okay, Matt, uh, I just have one last question for you. Uh, can you just like give me one parting message for the people who are still fighting this battle? Yes. Um, so for anyone who's fighting this battle, I want to let you know that you are enough where you are right now. And what I mean by that is sometimes we feel like life is dragging us down so hard in the moment that there's just no way out. But I want you to know that where you're at right now, all these setbacks that you're having, these are what's actually setting you up for a greater, more impactful life. And I always have a famous saying too that I like to share with people to kind of finish. And it, I found it from a guy named Jim Quick and it's HOPE. It's, it's an acronym. It's help one person every day, HOPE. And I think we underestimate the power of giving back to just one person at a time. So for my example, because when I help one person, they can take my knowledge and they can help another person. So you're ultimately helping two or three people. When you help 10 people, you're ultimately helping a hundred actually. When you help a hundred, you're helping a thousand. So don't ever underestimate the power of just helping one person. And for anyone who's going through cancer right now, just stay, um, stay positive, use your support system, stay strong in your faith and realize that these moments right now are actually molding you into something like a year from now, you're gonna look back and be like, wow, I'm such a stronger person, mentally, emotionally, physically. I mean, I've talked to people who had three months left to live and now they're 10 years cancer-free. So don't ever give up on hope where you're at. Don't ever give up on, on your faith, okay? So that would be my final parting message. Thank you, uh, Matt, for sharing your journey with us. It's an amazing uh, journey which you have. Uh, I cannot believe that from the moment you were on the hospital bed in for 53 days, and right now you're sitting in front of me and sharing this journey, and you're so happy and you've planned your future. I, it's amazing. You are actually a very lucky guy because you have a lot. You have Lauren with you, and she's she's very lucky. You are very lucky. It's a beautiful journey which you have, and you should like really appreciate. I I wouldn't say that it's a good thing that you went through it, but it's actually what made you into what you are today. So I would uh, say it's it's a good thing that it happened, and you are such an amazing person today. So thank you for sharing so beautiful memories, so many beautiful memories with us. Thank you from Love Heals Cancer and Zenonco.io. Thank you. <laughs> Namaste. That's what you do in India. Namaste. Yeah. Uh, and you can ha like have a good day. And that's it from my side. Thank you. Thanks, guys.